0: This show is part of the Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of yon Macool, Cool Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grown your Wail, from giants right down to fairies, both the drooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside, yeah. Fireside, the puka fireside, the marrow fireside. Kings and queens, fat and heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish Storytelling Podcast. Each episode of Fireside we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your fireside bard. Welcome to episode 135 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have the story of Manowadan in the aftermath of Wales' war with Ireland and his adventures with Prideri, Rhiannon, and Kigfa. But first, if you are brand new to the podcast and this is your first episode, why don't you at least start with the episode on Pulk, Prince of David, because this is. We're about five episodes into our exploration of Welsh mythology as we explore the Mabinogion, and that might be a better footing. And then if you enjoy that, why don't you head right back to the very, very beginning and see what we've been building up to over the last two and a half years and 135 episodes. And if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support. If you haven't done so already, please do follow me over on Instagram. It's the best place to get in touch with me and to check out what other stuff I'm up to. If you're not on social media, please follow me or email me at the Bar at gmail.com and if you really want to support the podcast you can do so over at HeadStuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com where for as little as five euro a month or you though you can pay more if you want you can gain access to bonus material and bonus episodes not just for fireside but for all of the podcasts on the headstuff podcast network and this month's latest episode is an episode on the mythology of the poetry of wb Yeats, and we've got a brand new bonus episode coming out next week which is my interview that i did before christmas it's been very much anticipated with Mark Williams, the author of Ireland's Immortals, one of the most influential books I've read uh, on Irish mythology, one of the best contemporary guides to this wonderful world that we all love so much. Want to give a big warm welcome to the latest uh, subscriber over on Headstuff Plus, which is Timothy Stevens. Timothy joins... William Moore, Beth Phillips, uh, Ruth Phillips, Beth Catallar, Tracy Rollins, Elizabeth Bonjean, Stuart McCabe, Ray McGahan, Rebecca Garvey, Martina Rafferty and Matthew Hill as the latest of the subscribers and the joiners of the intimate community of Fireside and all of you are very much appreciated as those who have been listening to recent episodes know I was on a 6 month tour of Australia and New Zealand with musical theatre show World of Musicals that was unfortunately cut short due to recent outbreaks in South Australia and border restrictions has been rescheduled to next year. So I'm back in Ireland. This is the first episode I've recorded in Ireland in a good few months now. Uh, it's good to be back in my in my home studio now. But uh, I'm back, and your support for the fo- for the podcast, your listenership, and. What support you all have been giving is never been more appreciated. So thank you so much to each and every one of you who do. The story for this week, we are moving on to the third of the four branches of the Mabinogion of Welsh mythology. So far, we have had to split all of the branches into separate twigs, separate limbs. The first branch we split into three episodes with the stories of Pulch, Prince of David, Rhiannon and Prederi. The second branch we split into two, which was the story of the blow to Branwen and followed by Wales's war with Ireland. And the third branch connects those two, connects the first two branches in a way that they weren't connected to each other as tangibly. There was some slight crossovers, mostly just the mention of Praderi and the cameo of Praderi towards the end of Wales's war with Ireland. But the third branch, as you will very soon see, forges the two and the whole, we start to see the tree that the branches of the Mabinogi are coming from. And this is the story of Mana, Manadawan, Manawudan, I apologize. I'm still getting my head around some of the pronunciations of these wonderful Welsh heroes. So this, uh, But this episode, I was able to fit into one story. So th- th- this one didn't need to be split. We'll make it a bit longer and hopefully I haven't had to condense it quite as much. Um, but it's a great story. I really enjoyed adap- adapting this one. Hope you all enjoy it. We'll chat a bit more afterwards. This is the story of Manawadhan on Fireside. Manawadan In the aftermath of the war between Wales and Ireland, Manawadon sat on an English hill facing France. He was heartbroken, dejected, and totally unsure of his next move. Manawadon had buried the head of his brother, Bendigade Vran, the King of Wales, in London, facing France to ward off future invasion from the east. His cousin, Caswallan, had seized control of both England and the Island of the Mighty. But as for Manawadon himself, He was a nobleman for sure, but stood to inherit no lands and in essence now had nowhere to go. The last companion he had was Prederi, son of Pulch Panamavan, who following the death of his father was now lord over the seven cantrefs of David. Lord, said Prederi, come home with me to David. It is a smaller kingdom than you are used to, but I promise you, there are no finer seven cantrefs in the entire island of the mighty. So the two war torn heroes went to Arbeth, where they were greeted by a mighty feast. There was Kigfa, Prederi's wife, and his mother, Rhiannon, even in her later years, still one of the most beautiful and revered ladies in all of Britain. Pryderi, Kigfa, Manawudan, and Hrianon ate, drank, and chatted well into the night. They talked of Pulch, of how he had claimed Hrianon's hand in marriage by tricking a lord to step into a sack which he then tied and beat, beginning the game, badger in the bag. They talked of Bendigay Vran, the king so large he had never been able to fit inside any fort or house. By the end of the night... The four were as thick as thieves, and more. Rhiannon and Manawudan felt they were falling in love with one another. No one could ever replace Pulch in Rhiannon's eyes. But Pulch was gone, and Manawadan was a fine and noble man. And because things move fast in myths and fairy tales, the next day Manawadan and Rhiannon were married. The four companions lived a fine life of hunting during the day and feasting at night. Things were going all too well. That was until one evening, while the four sat in the great hall of Arbeth, they heard a great noise unlike anything they had heard before. Like great metal dragged across granite rock. Following the noise, a mist descended over the hall. And when the noise faded and the mist cleared, Prederi, Kigva, Rhiannon, and Manawadon found they were alone in the hall. They went to the bedchambers, the kitchens. No one. They went outside. There were no guards or courtiers. No one. They went to the stables. There were no horses. To the fields, no sheep or cattle. The four companions were the only living creatures left in David. After searching through all seven cantrefs for any sign of life, Praderi concluded that they could not live this way. With no game to hunt, they would soon starve to death. So Praderi and Manawadan made the decision to go to England to work a trade. They would bring back meal and game to their beloved wives. Pryanon and Kigfa would remain in David and send word to England should the mysterious curse be lifted. First, the two boys went to Hereford. What trade shall we work at? asked Praderi. Let us be saddlers, said Manawadan. And so the two became saddle-makers. Manawdan would shape and enamel the leather, and Praderi would stitch and detail and fasten the stirrup. Neither had crafted saddles before, but they both knew horses and riding and what made a good saddle. And soon they found they were the most popular saddle-makers in Hereford. In fact, no one went for a saddle to anyone else. And soon, the other Hereford saddlers began to plot to kill Manawadan and Prederi. It seems we've made an enemy of the saddlers, said Manawadhan. We shouldn't take that. We could easily take them all, said Praderi. True, but it would be wrong for us to come into a town, run hard-working people out of their trade, and then kill them all for it. Let's just move town. So the two budding tradesmen left Hereford and went to another town. What shall we be here? asked Praderi. Your choice, said Marwudan. Let's make shields. We both know armour. But let's establish ourselves as valuing defense over weaponry. So Prederi and Manawodan became shield makers. Manawodan cutting, smelting and shaping the metal, and Prederi gilding and finishing the detail. They made large, durable, but light and movable shields. Unfortunately, better than anyone else. And soon the blacksmiths began to plot against them. Now the blacksmiths want to kill us, said Manawodan. Let's kill them first, said Praderi. No, we can't make a name for ourselves as blacksmith killers. Let's just move town again. And the next time, we won't make anything to do with war or battle. So they settled in a third town. And Manawadon decided they would be cobblers. Let us make shoes. Simple, non-offensive, non-aggressive shoes. I can't make shoes, said Praderi. I can. I will teach you. They used only the finest cordovan leather, and Manawadon made the shoe, and Prederi stitched and laced them. And once again, they were the greatest craftsmen in town, and so, inevitably, bore the anger and wrath of every cobbler. This is getting ridiculous, said Prederi. Agreed, said Manawadon. But we have made a substantial amount of money now, Let us buy grain and wheat and crops to plant and hounds to hunt with, and let us return home to David, to our wives. So Manawithon bought the harvest and Prederi bought the hounds, and they set out to return to Wales. When they were once again entering the Cantrefs of David, they were disappointed to see that it remained barren and desolate without a sign of life. That was until... The dogs began to bark and give chase. The two heroes followed where the dogs pursued to see a magnificent white boar. Imagine if we returned home with that boar for Kigfa and Rhiannon to feast upon, cried Pideri. And so the hunt began. The hounds and heroes pursued the boar across hills and deep into valleys until they came to a massive stone fort. Prederi knew the seven cantrefs of David better than his own mother's face, and no fort had ever existed here before. The white boar ran across the threshold and into the fort. The hounds gave chase, but once they were inside, no sound of dog nor boar was heard again. Manawodon said, If you are right and no fort has existed here before, then we should proceed with great caution. But Predere's impetuousness got the better of him. It was a spirit he had inherited from his father. I will not abandon my hounds, and we will feast upon that boar. And predere rode off into the great, mysterious fort. Inside, the Lord of David saw no dog or pig, but a great stone well. Beside the well was a beautiful, jewel-encrusted bowl, with chains coming off and leading high into the sky. Prederi looked up, but could not see where the chains ended. It was as if this was the well and drinking bowl of the heavens. Prederi placed his hands on the golden bowl and could not take them off again. The hands were stuck to the bowl. Not only that, his feet fastened to the ground, and worst of all, he found he could not speak. Prederi was helpless and could not even cry for help. Outside the fort, Manawudan waited in vain for Prederi. He wanted to follow him into the fort, but if he did, and he too disappeared, then there would be no one to defend Rhiannon and Kikfa. So, with a heavy heart, Manawudan returned to Arbeth. Once there, Rhiannon chided her husband for abandoning her son. Some companion you are. After all that my son has given you, and you abandon him. You think we women are so helpless to need the defense of a coward? Rhiannon, as always, could cut down anyone with her words. That night, Rhiannon rode from Arbeth until she found the mysterious fort. Foolhardy, she rode into the fort and found her son, still fastened tight to the golden bowl. Unfortunately, without access to his voice, hands, or feet, Praderi could not even gesture to warn his mother not to. And Rhiannon touched the golden bowl, and her hands stuck to it, and her feet fastened to the ground, and she lost the use of her tongue. Mother and son were helpless and trapped, and then they heard the foreboding familiar sound that they had heard that night in Arbeth and suddenly a mist descended upon them but this time they were not left behind when the mist lifted Rhiannon and Prederi were gone back at Arbeth Kigfa wept when neither her mother-in-law nor her husband came home Manawadon said Lady do not fear. You will never have a greater friend and protector than you will in me. I have brought crops to plant. I will sow them this day, and we will survive. Manawdan had brought enough grain, wheat, and barley back from England to fill three fields. He finished planting them, and the next morning went to reap what he had sown. But he found the entire first field had been ravaged. There was still no other sign of life in David. It did not seem possible. Manawudan began to pick what he could of the second field, but was shaken and distracted by the loss of the first. The next morning, the second field had been desecrated. So that night, Manawudan hid in wait, guarding the third field. Before sunrise, Manawudan saw a mischief of mice scurry across the field and begin to eat away at the crops. Raising a scythe high above his head, Manawadan began to chase the vermin away. He was determined to catch as many as he could, but the mice were too fast. There was only one particular fat little mouse that Manawadan was able to catch, and he placed it in a little pouch and carried it back to Arbeth. "'What have you got there?' asked Kigfa when manawadan returned. "'It is a fat mouse that was ravaging our crops.' And I'm going to hang it. It is far beneath a nobleman of your rank to hang such a pathetic creature, said Kigfa. But Manawudan wouldn't hear any of it. He was going to channel all of his rage and misery and frustration and loss out on this fat little mouse. They went outside to construct a tiny gallows. But suddenly they were approached by the first human either of them had seen, other than Praderian and Rhianon, in what they both realized had been seven long years. The figure was a cleric, and he asked, ''What is it that you are doing there?'' ''We are hanging a mouse,'' replied Manowdan. ''How is it that you are here?'' ''I have been in England for seven years.'' And I'm happy to see someone still here in David, But if I may ask, please do not hang that mouse. I will give you a pound for it. Keep your money, said Manawudan. This mouse must die. Next, the two were approached by a priest. This priest offered three pounds. And again, Manawadan said he would not be so easily bought. Finally, came a bishop who offered seven then twenty, then thirty-seven pounds. And each time, Manawadan refused. Well then, name your price, said the bishop. I'll give you anything. I wish for the safe return of Prederi and my wife, prianor said Manawadhan. Done, said the bishop. Now hand over the mouse. Not yet. Who are you? I am the one who cursed this land. I came here to avenge Gual, son of Clod, who sought the hand of Rhiannon in marriage. Pulch, prince of David, deceived him and trapped him in a sack and beat him senseless. They called the game Badger in the Bag. I came to take revenge on all of David. "'But the mouse that you have in your possession is my wife. "'I turned my own men into mice to ravage your fields. "'But my wife is pregnant and was hungry "'and asked me to turn her into a mouse too so that she may feast. "'I didn't want to, but she insisted. "'Now hand her over.' "'Not yet,' said Marwudan. "'What else do you want?' I want this entire curse over David to be lifted and all to be returned as it was. And I want it sworn that neither you nor anyone else shall ever be able to curse this land again. Done and done, said the bishop. And a moment later, Rhiannon and Prederi appeared from nowhere and Prederi embraced Kigfa. And Manawadan embraced Rihanna. True to his word, Manawadan handed over the mouse, and the bishop transformed her back into human form. The curse was lifted, and a new enchantment placed over David that no further harm could come to its seven cantrefs, and Manawadan, for the first time in many, many years, was at peace and could rest. To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. Okay, it's Jibs here from the Pints of Malt. So our podcast is basically group of Irish-Nigerian lads who tell their stories, growing up in Ireland, as well as Nigeria, and we share our experiences with all of y'all. We also add a bit of, of comedy as well, you know, to get y'all laughing, get y'all through the week in these tough times that we are in. So y'all sit back and just, you know, enjoy the show. As Jib said, we're the Prince of Moth podcast. You can find us on all streaming platforms, including the, the Headspace Network. And that was the story of Manawadon on Fireside, and so begins and so ends the third branch of the Mabinogi. and I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, you see very immediately, those who have been listening to all of the Welsh myths of recent weeks, that this is the true forging of the first two tales. Because in the first branch we have all the stories of Polch, Prince of David, and his wife Rhiannon, and his son Praderi. But then in the second story, we meet Manawudan, who's more of a background figure when it's his, it's his brother, Bendigate Vran, who's more of our, our protagonist. And we had uh, Ethnician as our antagonist and Branwen as the cause of all of this plight and who they were going to be rescuing. And, and we had Mytholic, the king of Ireland, but Manawudan was just there in the background. And then we just had a cameo appearance from Prederi towards the end. But other than that, very little connecting the two. You know, no mention of David, otherwise, it's more of a national tale, the second branch, whereas David is more of the smaller kingdom, these smaller cantrefs, seven cantrefs. But then we get to the third branch, and the two just clash heads. This is the mashup of the first two branches, where we meet Praderi and Rhiannon once again. And it's great because I love it. It's great to see Rhiannon appear again and in a very similar characteristic because my favorite detail of Rhiannon in her own story was how she chides Polk for his stupidity when Gual approaches and asks for a favor of Polk and Polk says he'll give him anything and of course the Gual then says okay then give me the hand in marriage of your prospective wife and Rhiannon goes through Polk over this and then has to make up this plan to get, so that she can marry Polk, the love of her life after all, no thanks to him. And we have that same character here when when uh, Manawodan returns home without Praderi. We have him being chided by Rhiannon for returning without him and suggesting that they would not need the defense of this coward. And I really like that, considering a lot of these myths These four branches are loosely connected to each other and may have come from various different sources and may have been put together at a later date. It's really nice to see that kind of similar characteristic in what can be quite vague characters that just kind of you get out of what you put into them. You know, Uh, I always love seeing that in a running characteristic. It makes me think that these were the same stories, you know, by the same people and that they had these behaviors that people knew but other than that it takes <laughs> this story is very much like a folktale in many ways the the lines are constantly blurred you know between myths and folktales to my mind is always like my definition as for what it counts as I usually consider myths to be stories about gods or kings or heroes and folktales are more stories about people more of a stories about you and me often stories then about animals or characters that might not even have names they're more defined by their title and this is obviously a story about nobles and kings and heroes but Yet most of the story beats in it are very folktalesque. First and foremost, Praderi and Manawadan going off on their merry travels and working a trade in various towns in Britain and being ran out of each town by the local tradesmen. That's that's a really like self-contained folktale in itself, and I love the details of it. The beginning of each one. It's like, what will be today will be this. Okay, let's do that. And I ran out of town. It's almost like a folk song itself. And there's the real poetry and the rhythm to that. And then we have them going back. Of course, we skipped over this mist, this uh, curse that descends over David. Which is then just like a horror movie, you know, like The Mist or A Quiet Place or suddenly just... Every, uh, there's this zombie apocalypse, this post-apocalyptic wasteland that all other life, not just human beings, any animal life is just wiped out. is just gone, except for our four protagonists, except for Manawadan Praderi, Kigfa and Prianon. And when they return and they find this great fort and they chase this boar we have this bizarre and this really mysterious aspect you know constantly in myth you're you're faced with details that are never mentioned again and you try not to justify them if they don't justify themselves and leave it to the listener's imagination leave it to my own imagination i try not to explain away things too much but we have this mysterious fourth that's very specifically said There's a fort where no fort existed before, and this is where the boar leads the hounds in. And Praderi goes in and there is this well and this golden bowl with chains leading up into the sky. Like this bowl from heaven just leading down. And this bowl is he stuck to he sticks to it and then is swept away. So of course we're It's up to us to conclude at the end that this was the bowl of this bishop who, uh, and it was just all a part of this elaborate curse but it's such an interesting detail unlike anything I'd encountered before and it was worth noting and worth really paying attention to of why there is this incredibly specific detail of this bowl. Why are the chains leading up to the sky Probably would have been less confusing if I left that out entirely, but I couldn't not, I couldn't not add that as an incredible detail. And the same fate befalls Frianon, but it's great that she gets this, because she's quite passive in the story otherwise, which is a shame considering how active she is in her own story from a few weeks ago. So it's great that she does have this moment where she pursues her son, tries to rescue her son where her husband wouldn't. Because in the actual versions of these stories, Praderi and Manawadan are just returned from Ireland. And Praderi basically says to Manawadan, I'll give you my mother. And I know that that's just probably how things would have worked at the time. I didn't think it was necessary. I liked the idea of him inviting him to the kingdom and them naturally falling in love. That was just a a detail I changed uh, that I stand by very much. But other than that, she doesn't get this agency until she goes and pursues her son. And poor Al-Kigfa doesn't really get any agency at all, except just to be sad that uh, Praderi and Rhiannon are gone. But then we get this nicer side to Manawudan's character, because he's been so cunning the whole time. But then we get this paternal, just protective. And he has this big speech that I condensed, where he just talks about what a good friend he will be turned. For her not to be afraid of him. And it is very paternal and seems very genuine. And it's, it's one of my favorite details of his character in the story. And then at the very end it almost becomes a Disney movie. Or a really messed up Disney movie. Because we have these mice. These mice that come and ravage the fields. And Manowdan catches one and wants to hang it. He wants to hang a little fat mouse and it's very hard to not picture just the mice from Cinderella To picture Gus Gus, this chubby little mouse who he's then going to hang So obviously he must construct this little gallows And then again this real folktale beat of these three characters offering three things The cleric and then the priest and then the bishop at what point does Madame Maudin know what's going on? Did he know the whole time? Or was he just going, the only thing you could possibly offer me is the return of Praderi and Rhiannon. And as it just so happened, he was talking to the exact right guy for that. But this is the wonderful world of mythology as well. They are at one point deadly serious and another point totally comical and totally farcical. And they never apologize for that. That isn't doable in most forms of media or literature anymore. Something has to be one thing or the other. If something is going to be silly, it can't suddenly be very serious. If something is very serious, it can't suddenly have this total cartoonish absurdity. Myth doesn't care about that. And that is one of the things that endears it to me most of all. You can have this very genuine, heroic folk tale of two lads going off, working a trade, trying to cure a curse, and it can end in this farcical episode of trying to hang a mouse who's actually a pregnant woman. Yes, this is, uh, as you can probably tell, this is my favourite of the stories of Welsh mythology so far. I like that I was able to make it into the one tale. I think it would have interrupted it too much otherwise. I would have had to cut it off around where Riannon gets and it wouldn't have been contained in itself. When I split them up, I like them to still be their own stories themselves that you could listen to them in isolation. But it would have made the second part too short and everything. And I don't feel it was rushed. I feel I got all the beats and the details in there. And it feels like my version of this story. And I hope you all enjoyed it. And with that, I will wrap things up. But thank you so much for listening. Please follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com support over at headstuffplus at headstuffpodcast.com. There is a link in the description. That is a thing I've usually always been bad about in the biog for this. That'll be there. There'll be the links to the Instagram and to headstuffplus because I know some people have been trying to and haven't been able to access it for some reason, but it should be very easily accessible at headstuffpodcast.com, but click on that link in the bio. And next week we will have the fourth of uh, a fourth and final branch of the Mabinagion. That's not the end of Welsh, Welsh mythology, but it will be the beginning of the last of the stories that are connected to each other as strongly as, the, as uh, or stronger than any of the subsequent about six or seven tales. We may take, as I've been saying, like it's still up in the air a little bit, we may take a break from Welsh mythology afterwards to get back to our roots, maybe have a couple of Irish folk tales. Let me know what you all like. I know some people have been saying they want another folktale in there. Um, I'll lash one in now that I'm back at home I have access to all of my books again I can get digging again Uh, but I'm really enjoying it and I've been really enjoying the feedback from you all so that'll be next week I'll see you all you'll hear me all next time and remember wherever you are and wherever you go you can always join me by the fireside